Hey podcasters, want to introduce this second message in the With All My Heart series. It's entitled, Where Do We Begin? And we try to focus on how do we get started on giving God all of our hearts. If He's going to redeem every piece, if we're going to love Him with all that we are, where do we start? And so we talk about how our families, our past has formed us, and we need to be honest about where we are at. We've got to face where we're at if we're ever going to get where we are headed. So that's the main thrust of this week's message as we talk about loving God with all of our hearts. I hope that you'll join us on July 30th. It's coming up at the end of the month. That's our friend day. It's a great time to join us for the first time or for the first time in a long time. We'd love to have you with us for worship at 1030 and lunch afterwards. We're going to have a taco bar. It's going to be great. We'd love to see you. Let's jump into this message. Where do we begin with all my heart? We're going to talk about the shape of our hearts. If we want to give our hearts over to the Lord, if we want Him to redeem every part of us, if we want to be able to sing, as Derek just led us to sing, my heart is yours, I give it all over to you. I I surrender, I am abandoned to you. If we're going to say that, we need to be open about our hearts, where they are. This morning, I I, I want us to to see that, that God does an immediate work in us, and then He does this ongoing work in us. And let me start with a little bit of a vocabulary lesson. I think it'll be helpful. Let me, let me talk to you about the word justification. You, you've used the word justification. Uh, it's pretty familiar to us. We use the word justify when we think someone's trying to justify what they did, right? They did something wrong and they're trying to explain away why they did. Don't try to justify your actions. That's, that's the, the more familiar definition. The second definition is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. And justification, according to Scripture, including these verses that we're about to read, justification is when God makes me righteous. Jesus makes me in right standing before God. I don't make myself righteous, but He makes me righteous. He claims me as righteous. When I come to Christ and I confess my need of Him, I turn from my life to serve Him. I repent of my sin to follow Him. I'm justified because I'm in Christ. And when God looks at my sin, He doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus. Let me show you what I'm talking about in this passage. Romans chapter 6. Let's read verses 15 to 18 first. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed, From the heart, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that gospel message which was delivered unto you. You've believed the gospel in your heart. It's changed you. Being then made free from sin. Through the type to to underline in Scripture or to, to highlight in your Bible. Man, underline that first phrase of verse 18. Being then made free from sin. Oh, that's good. Being made free from sin. Ye became the servants of righteousness. Verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your member servants to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, even even so now yield your member servants to righteousness unto holiness. 
For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then? What was the benefit then? And those things whereof you are now ashamed of. You're embarrassed of them. For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin. There's another. It's a repeat of that line we underlined in 18. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Let's underline that first phrase of 22 as well. But now being made free from sin. Before we we carry on, I just want us to to stop a moment and think on being made free from sin. That is wonderful. Every lie you've ever told, you're freed from. Every jealousy you've ever felt, you're freed from. Every wrong word, every wrong thought, every wrong action, every time you took what wasn't yours, every time you you acted in anger, you held bitterness, you're freed from that. That is wonderful. Why do I get excited to come to church on Sunday morning and sing about God's goodness? Because He freed me from sin from all of those things that I did, all of those those acts that were against His law and His truth, all of those things that I did that the fruit or the, the result of would have been death, destruction, heartache. He freed me from that. That's good. And we should bask in the glory of that regularly. We should be so thankful that we have been made free. In, in John Budman's Pilgrim Progress, this classic work, of Christian literature. The, the, the pivotal moment in the book is when the main character, who is named Christian, he comes to this hill where there's a cross and a sepulcher. And he's been carrying this large burden on his back. And there the large burden is freed or falls from his shoulders and rolls down the hill into the grave where it can never more be seen. The picture is our sin rolling off of our shoulders and this great weight being taken off of our backs. That's us being freed from sin. That's what God was doing. And Bunyan writes, the Christian says after that, Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was then, till I came hither. What a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall off my back. Must here the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, or grave. Blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame. Why is, he, why is he moved to song? Because this burden has been rolled off of his shoulders. And if you have experienced the weight of guilt, the weight of sin, to be freed from that, to have it eased off of your shoulders, to feel the strings, the chains that held it there begin to break apart and you to be freed. You're moved that Christ did that for you, that He freed you from that sin. And if you aren't moved by that fact, if you aren't moved by the fact that you were freed from sin, You've either forgotten the weight of your sin or you never really realized the weight of your sin. And that's problematic. 
It may be that you never realized sin's weight because it's never been taken off of your shoulders. This has always been there. You've always lived with it. You've just always thought of it as normal, customary, the way that everybody lives. This is just the human experience. Friend, let me tell you that when Christ rolls those sins off of your shoulders and you feel that weight go away, you feel your heart unburdened with your guilt, you realize the weight that you've been carrying all this time. Maybe that you've slowly accumulated this burden, this weight, your sin, over many years. And like a frog in a pot that's boiling, it started off lukewarm and it just slowly, slowly cooked higher and higher. You're not even aware of the weight that you're under. My prayer is that today would be the day that the burden rolls off your back. And you would feel the weight fall off. Unfortunately, though, We've come to this place where we think that you're free in this moment because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The, the burden rolls off and then it's done. But that, that is the pivotal moment in John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. But it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of this journey. And when Christ does that in our lives, it's just the beginning. When He frees us from sin, it's just the beginning. And that's what Paul's driving at here. You've been freed from sin. Being now freed from sin, you become servants of the Lord. You serve God. There is no place in Scripture where Jesus says to His disciples, Hey, just say a prayer. Your sins are forgiven and you're done. No, what does He always say? Follow me. Follow me. Come with me. Learn of me. Walk with me. The Christian experience is not one that starts when we say some prayer and ends there. It begins and it continues on. So justification is that that freeing of sin. And it happens instantaneous. When we come to Christ, we're in Him. God looks to see my sin. He doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness instead. That happens immediately. But that's the beginning. It's the starting point. It's not where we end. I told you to underline that phrase in verse 18 and verse 22. Let's look at the second part of 18, the second part of 22. Being then made free from sin... Ye became servants of righteousness. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Justification is immediate and forever, but sanctification is progressive. Let me talk to you about the meaning of sanctification. Now, I've defined justification. Let's talk about sanctification for a second. It's a little less common of a word. Sanctification is the state of growing in Christ after you've committed your life to Him. Many people think of it as something that that happens after baptism, but it's something that begins immediately when we put our faith in Christ and it starts and continues. You see, we believe in instant justification, progressive sanctification. I come to Christ, I'm forgiven of my sin, they roll off my back, I'm freed from the condemnation, the judgment that I deserve. But then from that point forward, God is progressively making me more like Him. He's making me more holy. So in Christ we experience this instant justification and progressive sanctification. But let me just ask you to to really zero in on that phrase in verse 22. You have your fruit unto holiness. 
And the idea of fruit is it's not just the result, it's the reward. Holiness is the reward of life in Christ. Let me try to illustrate it this way. How many of you like strawberries? All right. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, I'm not sure what's wrong with you. Maybe you're allergic or something, but everybody likes strawberries, right? Strawberries are great. This past Sunday night when we had a picnic here at the church, I think June brought some strawberries. They were amazing. All the kids went in to get ice cream, and Lincoln came back out, not with ice cream, but a bowl of strawberries, because they were that good. But imagine you, you've gone and picked some strawberries. Maybe some of you have been to Wrightsbury Farm, and you've picked some strawberries. Imagine you went there, and you, you were out in the hot sun, and you worked in the field, and you dug, and you found just a quart of beautiful, plump, juicy, fresh, ripe strawberries. And you took them up there to the stand and you paid them for the strawberries that you picked. Man, what a deal is that, right? And then you get in the car and you drive home and you get out of the car and you realize you left those strawberries sitting there on the counter at the stand. No strawberries. You did the work and you even paid for them, but then you left them there. So, well, we had the experience of picking strawberries in the hot sun. It was a great memory. But you're missing out on the reward. And I'm afraid that many times that we think that holiness is the experience of picking the strawberries out in the hot sun. But really what it is, is it's the strawberries that we get to take home and enjoy. It's the reward. It's the fruit of that work. Holiness isn't something that we have to do, that we're obligated to do. Holiness is something that we get to do, that we are blessed with. When God gives us holiness, it is this reward Holiness is not a responsibility, it's a reward. It's not an obligation, it's a blessing. What is holiness? Holiness is righteousness, rightness. You know what's wrong with you? You're wrong, you're broken. You know what's right with God? He's holy and righteous. And when we become more like Him, we're less broken, we're more right. Holiness is this gift that He gives to us. So growing in Christ and becoming more like Him is not something that we merely ought to do. It's something that we get to do. It's a reward. It's a fruit. It's not the labor out in the hot sun. It's the blessing. Discipleship. Becoming more like Jesus. Growing in Christ. Becoming more like who the person that God has called us to be. That He designed us to be. That He made us to be. It is not a job that you have to do. It is a blessing that He has made possible for you. And I'll be honest. There are times that I feel like uh, someone who is trying to convince a person to cash the million dollar check they've been given. You've been given a million dollar check and you go home and you throw it on the counter with all the other paperwork and bills that you need to sort through and all the junk mail that needs to be done, something done with. And it just sits there. Now, if you gave me a million dollar check, I'm headed straight to the bank. Right? If that, if that thing isn't postdated, we're going now. Because there's money to be had from that check. I'm going to cash that in. God has given us this wonderful gift. He's given us this wonderful blessing. And we just kind of set it up on the counter like, yeah, I'll get to that one day. 
Yeah, I know discipleship is a thing that I ought to do. I know that becoming more like Christ is something that I ought to do. I know that becoming more like God is something that I ought to do. No, it's something you get to do. It's the fruit. It's the reward. Christ instantaneously justifies us, makes us free from the condemnation of our sin, and then gives us this opportunity, this blessing to become more and more and more like Jesus. And we treat it like, well, something you really ought to do if you, if you have time, you know. No. Cash that check. Take that fruit home. Benefit from it. So, Pastor Dan, how does this, how does this work? What do, what do I need to, to do? If, if you are convinced of the great worth of becoming more like Christ, and when I say become more like Christ, I'm not just saying like you start obeying all of these rules and you stop doing these things. No, I'm saying your life is made whole. Your heart is restored. You are filled with joy and peace and happiness and gentleness and mercy and patience and forgiveness. That's what I'm talking about. How do you get there? That's what we're talking about. How do we come to this place where we love God with all our heart? Where we are instantaneously justified and then we are progressively sanctified. We're becoming more like Him. How do we give Him every bit of our heart? Well, to start, you need to be clear about where you're at. Where are you at? Do you remember MapQuest? How many of you ever used MapQuest back in the day? Now, for those of you that are younger, that you've always had a smartphone in your hand, MapQuest is going to sound crazy, all right? But let me explain it to you. The way that MapQuest would work is you would go to a computer, the kind that sat on the desk in the house, and you would put in your address, and then you would put in the address of the place that you wanted to go, and it would come up on the screen, and you would print it out of a printer on a paper. And you would take it with you to the car to drive to the place that you wanted to go. You can still do this. Do you know that? You can still go and print MapQuest directions. Now, I know today, most of the time, that we just use our phones and we have GPS, but this is what it looked like. And it would tell you, go 0.11 miles to the end of 5th Street, to the corner of Lincoln Avenue. Take a left. Go 4.95 total miles. Now, get this. You had to tell it where you were going, but you also had to tell it where you were at. Because it had to figure out the directions from where you are to where you're going. Now, today, you have a GPS in your phone that it automatically knows where you're at. And if you miss your turn, it just puts together new directions based on where you're at. That didn't happen with this. you got a piece of paper. There is no recalculating. If you missed your turn... You had to go back to that turn and find it and start over again. Truth is that most of us, we don't have this inborn GPS that is honest and clear and accurate about where we are. You had to tell it where you're at and where you wanted to go. Some of you, maybe you know where it is that you want to go. You want to become more like Christ, but you're not really clear on where you're at. I worked for this company. We managed homes across the state of Virginia that had been foreclosed on and abandoned. And One of us every week would have to go on what was called the Out West Trip, and you'd travel to houses that were five hours away from Virginia Beach. This was before GPS. This was before just looking it up on your phone. So when you showed up, they would have the job 
orders, the work orders, and there would be directions from the office to the first house. And then the next job order and directions from that house to the next house. Directions from that house to the next house. But then something would happen. They'd call you and say, we have this other house. Well, I don't know how to get there. So you'd have to break out a map. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your grandparents to show you what a map is. It's this big book with all these pages, or it was just a big piece of paper that never folded the same way twice. And you had to figure out where you were and where you needed to go. You had to figure out both and then find the route. We need to become more like Christ. But knowing your destination is practically useless if you don't know your location. Right? When people get lost in the woods, it's not because they don't know where they want to go. They want to go home. They want to go to civilization. They want to go to the hospital. They know where they want to go. What they don't know is where they're at. They can't find where they're at. So they don't know which direction to head. Some of you, you you know that you need to become more like Jesus, but you don't even know where you're supposed to begin. You don't know where you're supposed to start. Some of you are just watching other people. I'm just going to do what they do, but their life is completely different from yours. Their experience is completely started in a completely different place than you did. You'll never get where you're headed if you don't first face where you're at. How do we face where we're at? Can't use directions from somebody else's home, somebody else's family life. You need to start with your own. And what Paul is telling them here is, you were servants to uncleanness. Now you're servants to God. The question was asked, because we're under grace, should we just sin? I mean, God has forgiven us. There's no condemnation. We've been justified. So we just do what we want? Paul says, God forbid. You were servants to unrighteousness. You are now servants to God. There's a change. There's a transfer. So how do we face where we're at? Well, there are a lot of of questions that we can answer in that. But let me just point you to one really good question for you to ask. Look at your family. Look at the life that you lived before Christ. Look at your past. Turn to Exodus 34 with me. In Exodus 34, things have not gone well. God has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 1 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were written on the first, which thou breakest. There's a lot in that verse. God says, Moses, make two more tablets that we can write the Ten Commandments on, and I'll do them again, because you broke the first set. Why did he break the first set? Because he came down from the mountain, and the people had made a calf out of gold that they were worshiping. And Moses threw the Ten Commandments, smashed them. So there have been some major problems. So Moses makes these two new tablets. He goes up in the mountain to meet with God again. Look at verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, 
the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Man, this is all great stuff. But the verse isn't in there. And it will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Our God is merciful, kind, forgiving thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He will by no means clear the guilty. And He will visit the sins upon that generation and the next generation and the next generation, even to the fourth generation. What did God just say? God just told Moses, I'm forgiving and I'm compassionate. I let transgression and iniquity be mercifully let go, but I will hold the consequences over you and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. That's, that's heavy. You know, you know what Mo- Moses is, is finding out? God is so forgiving. But he's also incredibly righteous and holy. And there are consequences for our actions and our sin. God saves us from the eternal consequences of our sin. That's what happens in that instantaneous justification. But there are still earthly consequences for our sin. If you're here today and you stole a car, God will forgive you this morning and you will not face the eternal consequences for your sin, but there is a pretty good likelihood you're going to face the earthly consequences for what you did. Coming to the the altar this morning and asking God to forgive you, that moment you are forgiven. But you're still going to have to answer for those laws that were broken. Cheat on your spouse. Come to the altar. Ask God for forgiveness. He will forgive you. But there is still this brokenness that God longs to restore. But it doesn't all get tied up in a neat bow. And it even says here, third and fourth generations. And if we were to look at your family, the truth is that you're suffering consequences for things that your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents did. Some of those on a big scale, some of them on a small scale. Now, I'm not pointing this out so you can say, you know what my problem is? My problem is my family. And that's what we'd like to do, right? And it's really easy for us to find someone else in our family to blame. Because your family's imperfect, just like my family. And when we look at the shape of our hearts, and we look at the brokenness in our lives, and we look at the decisions that we make, and the things that we do, and the things that we think are no big deal, a lot of that is shaped by the family that we grew up in. The people that we were around, the the close relationships that we had. Nothing has shaped you more than your past. And few things have formed you more than your family. Nothing's played a greater role in your formation. And this alone doesn't answer the question of what's broken in us and what needs restoration in us, but this is an excellent place to start. 
And we're not asking this question, and I'm not pointing this out for us just to have someone else to blame because God's going to hold us responsible. But if we know where it is that we're starting, and we know where it is that God wishes us to go, then we can begin that journey. So, Pastor Dan, that, that stuff about justification, that was a whole lot more fun. Can we talk about that some more? I know it's, it's difficult for us to face where we are at. But if we're going to start where we're at and get where God wants us to go, if we're going to start where we're at, we're going to need to face who we are. We need to be clear about who we are. John Calvin said, Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. In other words, we can't really know who we are unless it's in relation to who God is. And then he said, without knowledge of self, there's no true knowledge of God. You see, unless we know who God is and how holy He is, we don't really understand where we're at. And until we really understand where we're at, we don't really appreciate what God has done for us. So, Pastor Daniel, I think about my family. My family's messed up. My family's broken But as you become more and more clear on who you are and where you're really at, you can also become more clear on how God can transform you and redeem you and restore you and make you into that person He's calling you to be. And and hear this, okay? Some of us here, we were fortunate to grow up in families that honored God and lived for Him. Fortunate enough to come up in families, grow up in families that honored God and lived for Him. And so it's easy for us, it's easy for us, people like me who grew up blessed like that, it is easy for us to just blend in. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm where God wants me to be. Because I grew up in a family that, that honored God and lived for Him. God's still calling you to be transformed because your family's not perfect. And even if they were, you're not. God wants to do this work in your heart. Do you remember how we started last week's message? Jesus says, love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. And he says that because he's arguing with Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they constantly have this confrontation with Jesus. They're saying, hey, your disciples, they don't do X, Y, and Z in the law. And Jesus says, what about your heart? What about your heart? And the Pharisees, hey, what about all of these things in the law? And Jesus says, what about your heart? And what Jesus is trying to point out to them is that on the outside, everything looked great. But on the inside, their heart was broken and corrupt. And they didn't even know it. They didn't even realize it. At one point, Jesus said, you know what you guys are like? You're like someone trying to get a speck of dust out of someone's eye, and you've got a two-by-four in your own eye. You're trying to remove a splinter from someone else's eye, and you have a beam in your own eye. If we are going to go where God is calling us, if we are going to have our hearts fully transformed, we need to face where we're at, and that's all of us, friend. Even the Pharisees among us. Even those that when we look at our family, our family, we were really blessed. When we come clear on who we are and where we're at, we can become clear on what it is that God wants to do in us and how He wishes to transform us. 
And I know that it's not, it's not incredibly enjoyable to look at your history, your past, your family, the things in you that are broken. But when you know where you are, you can see how God wants to take you where you're supposed to be. And the difference he wants to make in you. That's what he wants to do in all of us. You were servants of unrighteousness, but now you're servants to God. You were servants of uncleanness, but now you live for him. And the fruit, the reward is holiness. It's transformation in every bit of your life. God wishes to do that in all of us. No matter where we're starting. Say, well, Pastor Daniel, I I got a lot further way to go than everybody else. He's the one that does the work. He's the one that does the work. If we will be open to Him doing that work in us. He's the one that does the work. So whether you've got a million miles to go or a thousand miles to go, He's the one that does the work. He's the one that will carry you there. He's the one that makes the transformation possible in our hearts and lives. So I want to invite you this morning to be honest about where you're at. Let me take you back to Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan's book, where Christian feels the burden roll off of his shoulder. The very first paragraph on the very first page of that book begins this way. Behold, I saw a man. It's Christian. The one who would have the burden rolled off his shoulder. This is how he begins the book. I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled. And not being able longer to contain, he broke out with a lamentable crying, What shall I do? How did Christian get to that place where the burden rolled off of his back? He started by being clear about where he was. That he was lost in his sin. That he was broken. That something had to be done. Throughout the rest of the paragraphs. He's trying to figure out what he should do. He's trying to figure out how he can change it. And finally, he realizes there's nothing he can do. But he must go to the cross. And there the burden is lifted off of his shoulders. Be honest about where you're at. Be honest about the fact you are lost in your sins. You are not right. God is right and you are not. You are a sinner. Be open about the fact that there are parts of you that are angry and jealous and lustful and dishonest and hypocritical. Be honest about that. And when you are honest about it and you realize your condition, you can experience that freedom of Christ removing that sin. And you can feel that burden roll off of your shoulders. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.